Welcome to the Mojas Druitt Family Team podcast series. I'm Victoria Cobham. And I'm Elizabeth Dowler. And in this podcast series, we're going to be explaining a little bit more about some key family law topics to give people more of an understanding about their money and their life. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Daniel Gornell, who works for Mojas Druitt Financial Planning as a chartered financial planner. So Mojas Druitt Financial Planners, it's the financial arm of Mojas Druitt, so we provide both legal and financial services. So Dan's joining us today as guest speaker um, for the podcast, which is going to focus on the role that financial advisors can play in divorce cases. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit, sort of introduce Dan, talk a little bit about what he does and then go through some case studies in terms of ways that he has been able to help us in what Elizabeth and I do. So Dan, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, how you got into financial advising? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm a chartered financial planner. Um, Other people might uh, refer to me as an independent financial advisor. It's a more common term. Uh, but I've been uh, working in the industry for over 15 years, initially starting working as in product providers uh, with a, you know, a, a pension specialism, and then over the past uh, 10 years working in financial planning, where I started as a power planner and then became an advisor once I became chartered. Uh, once I started advising, I quickly fell into the specialism of specializing in uh, finances on divorce. Uh, which started initially by helping uh, those uh, investing settlements in terms of lump sum settlements and pension sharing, but quickly realized that actually there's a a lot of value that can be added earlier in the process before the settlement. So uh, quickly became quite uh, involved with resolution, just attained the specialist accreditation, making me one of fewer than 35 financial planners in the country to to achieve that. Resolution is a really important part of our profession. So Resolution is a group of people who specialise in helping people through divorce, separation, all kind of family law issues. And what Resolution attempts to do is to encourage everyone who's a part of it to work in a much more amicable way. And I think obviously family separation is one of the most difficult times that people will go through in their lives and actually having professionals who are committed to working in an amicable way and realizing that we're actually helping families go through a process and not trying to make it worse for them so having dan for me as part of our team but also part of resolution is such a valuable resource for us and our firm firstly because i can pick up the phone when i've got questions um you know that fall outside of my specialism but also to have someone who works in a similar way to us in terms of helping families get through this process rather than adding any unnecessary acrimony so resolution is a you know excellent uh, body and i'm very you know proud to be involved with it and actually uh, just joined the YRES National Committee uh, last September, so I'm very active in helping promote uh, resolution to younger members uh, in the industry uh, and regularly attend the regional pods uh, meetings that they have as well. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm really pleased to be working within uh, Mojas Druitt Financial Planning and see just a tremendous amount of value that having a legal and financial arm under you know, the same company and how it can benefit clients. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, as lawyers, we can't provide financial advice. We're not allowed to. But when it comes to, you know, divorce in particular, so much is about, you know, people are so concerned about their financial future that actually having a financial advisor on board is just so crucial. The two really link a lot. So uh, having 
Dan and team on board in terms of having this financial arm to Mojis Druitt is just fantastic. Particularly at the moment when we are living in a you know a cost of living crisis, I think that actually people are really concerned about money and how far money can stretch. And I think that now more than ever, we need to think about how we are dividing up families' finances so that everyone's needs are met. Yeah, and there's uh, you know, several tools that we can use to make sure that yeah, clients achieve a fair outcome that works for them over the long term. So if we now sort of move on to a couple of case studies, because I think it's always really helpful to put sort of a theory into practice and uh, give a couple of examples of where, Dan, you have helped us um, and our clients, because um, there are lots of different ways that, that we can. So I think we've talked about in some of our previous podcasts about pensions, historically in divorce, were perhaps one of those assets that were quite wrongly placed to one side. And we had... You know, quite typically, we may have had the the wife who wanted to retain the home and the husband who would have retained his pension. And at that point in time, that might have suited everyone really quite well. But when we get to a stage where people are retiring, we had a situation where the financially weaker party who didn't take any of the pension assets was suddenly sitting in this capital asset and realising, I can no longer afford to live here. Um, So for us as a profession, we've really moved on from there and realising that pensions are really important assets and they must be taken into account at the point of separation rather than just placed to one side. So Dan, can you tell us a little bit about how you help us with the pension element of our cases? When couples are divorcing, you know, like you say, pensions have to be taken into account. So one of the first things we can do is actually work out what pensions they have and what they look like. So pensions over the last few decades have been very complex. They've worked to make them more simple, but actually all these changes have added extra layers of confusion. But in a nutshell, there's two main types of pensions that people have. Uh, One would be a defined benefit pension. So this would be a pension where you'd be uh, guaranteed to receive a set level of income at a set retirement date. So this could be something like a NHS pension or a teacher's pension. You know, it's paying you an inflation-linked uh, income in retirement. Uh, whereas newer pension contracts tend to be defined contribution contracts, uh, which uh, the value of which is linked to the, the underlying investments within the pension, which at the point at which you want to take benefits, you could buy an annuity, which is another guaranteed income. Uh, or you can go into flexible access drawdown, which is what uh, an option that a lot of people are taking at the moment. So you know, one of the first things we can do is help work out what type of pensions they have, what type of benefits they're projected to pay, and start comparing you know, the, the assets against each other. And I think sort of uh, from my point of view, it's just so great to have you on hand because quite often it won't necessarily be immediately clear from the documentation whether it's defined benefit. I mean, obviously, if it's military, like you say, or NHS, or uh, then then it is going to be defined benefit pretty much. But but actually, you know, sometimes there can be sneaky sort of hidden clauses that might look like a defined contribution, but actually are defined benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And even more confusingly, there are schemes that are kind of a hybrid of the two as well. Um, and even where a scheme may look like a defined contribution, benefit some of the legacy schemes you know going back a number of years can have uh, guaranteed annuity rates or guaranteed benefits within that so that's you know things that we look for and yeah like you say pension uh, statements are very complex often quite long but luckily I've spent you know, a number of years uh, trawling through quite a few of these yeah. so I know what to look for and can help make sense of it for both uh, you know, the sister and the client yeah absolutely so if you have at the other side sort of saying 
you don't need to worry about this pension. Oh, we can just split it 50-50. It's a defined contribution pension. It's simple. Actually, it's really helpful to run it by you if we're not quite sure. And you can say, oh, no, actually, it's more complex than that. It needs looking into. So I think, yeah, pension query, i.e. what is this pension, is, is the first sort of um, thing that we usually come to you on. And then obviously, if, if it is more complex, then we might need a pensions report. So can you talk us through that? So the, the object of a pension report and, and commissioning one is to try and achieve uh, parity between the two parties' pensions. And this is often either done through equalising the amount of capital they have, or, or more often equalising the amount of income the pensions are providing. So in providing an expert report, uh, the objective is to analyse the types of pensions and work out the fairest uh, way to, you know, to achieve that. In terms of the types of pension reports you can get, uh, you know, for example, I can produce pension reports which can equalise capital and income. However, in some cases, it's you know, best to instruct an actuary uh, to prepare these, particularly when there's public sector defined benefit schemes involved, such as the NHS or teachers' pensions. And the main reason for that is because on a pension share, the person receiving the pension credit, uh, so the percentage that's uh, agreed, would actually have their own internal membership within that scheme. Uh, and what it means is that an actuary is best placed to use the scheme-specific tables to calculate exactly what income that uh, person can expect to, to receive from that. Quite often I have clients come to me and they will say, you know, we've agreed to divide the pension 50-50. Um, you know, they, they recognise that the pension is an asset that's been built up during the marriage and they both need to share in that. What I always find interesting is sometimes dividing a pension 50-50 would not give the same income to those parties in retirement. So you could have a situation whereby if you just divided it 50-50, one person could be significantly better off in retirement in terms of income in their bank each month versus the other party. And for me, Dan, that's where you really add value. It's really recognising that to achieve an equal division of your income on retirement, you may need something like 60% of the pension transferred at that point. And I think, you know, for me, especially before I learned a lot more about pensions, that seemed quite nonsensical to, to, to realise that you need such a big chunk to get an equal income in your retirement. But actually, that's the reality on the ground. And sometimes I, you know, I think people find that really quite surprising. And spending some money to work that out can save you you know, for thousands and thousands of pounds when it comes to retirement, and it's such a worthwhile exercise. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's often the case uh, where you know, dividing a pension 50-50 can result in differing levels of income, like you've said, and that could either be because the parties are different ages or the, you know, the way that the benefits are calculated. So yeah, in these cases, it's definitely worthwhile you know, paying an expert to look into this uh, to make sure that you know, the right outcome uh, is achieved for both parties. And in fact, we had a case uh, recently where Dan Moja Stewart Financial Planners actually really helped our client. It was this exact sort of scenario, wasn't it, uh, where we had uh, a very valuable pension in the husband's name um, and uh, the wife that they, ca they came and sort of said, we've reached an agreement, we're going to go 50-50. And actually, you looked at what that you know, a 50% share of that would be, and it left the wife substantially worse off than the husband. Um, and if you sort of, you're probably better at explaining why that is, Dan, but if you can explain why why that was in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. So for this case, uh, the husband was receiving a defined benefit pension, which was in payment. So that means they were receiving their guaranteed inflation-linked income uh, already. Uh, and like you say, by giving 50% of that to the wife, 
Um, and in this case, external transfer was the only option for that credit. So what that means is when the wife receives their share of the pension, uh, it doesn't stay within the current scheme. It actually goes out to an external scheme where they need to receive financial advice to make sure that they can you know, arrange their own pension. And you know, in doing so, it would leave them with less income. So yeah, through calculating the, the benefits each could expect to receive, you know, it was determined that actually you know, it was more like a 59% share of that pension would need to go to the wife to ensure that both receive the same uh, amount of income. Yeah, because sort of what we're trying to achieve is equality of pension incomes and you know, if there's a, a lump sum to also be paid, equalisation of that. And I think people think, well, then that's 50%, you know, 50-50, but actually sometimes it requires a, a different split in order to actually achieve fairness, i.e. equality of the pension incomes. And in that instance, not only um, did Moja Stewart Financial Planners obviously do the calculation to work out what percentage was required to equalise those pensions, or rather the benefits from those pensions, but actually also advised the wife where she would need to place that because she wasn't allowed to remain in the scheme. She had to transfer out to another provider. Uh, and that's also where, where Dan comes in. So I can help with pension sharing order implementation. Uh, so you know, initially that will start with explaining to the client what options they have, whether that is an internal membership or an external membership, you know, transferring away. Uh, and then you know, as an independent financial advisor, I'm able to look at the whole of the market in, in terms of choosing a provider and a product that suits the client best. So another area that you've really helped me with, Dan, particularly helping some of my clients, is cash flow modelling. So can you help explain a little bit about that and how that works? So cash flow modelling is a tool that you know, a lot of financial planners will use for all of their clients um, because it's just an excellent visual way of you know, looking at your future finances. Because looking at numbers on a piece of paper, it's very difficult to know what that means to you as a client. You know, is that enough money? Can I afford to retire? You know, these are all questions that we can help answer using cash flow modelling in a very visual way. Uh, so you know, it's, it helps for those you know, entering retirement or someone who's you know, looking to change jobs or you know, testing affordability. More, more than most, uh, those going through divorce, this is a perfect tool because it just helps them give reassurance and peace of mind that the settlement that they you know, have agreed will be enough for them to achieve their future goals and you know, meet their future expenses. You and I had a case recently, didn't we, Dan, where I had a wife. She wanted to be able to buy a house and also know that the amount of pension share we were asking for was going to be enough for her retirement. So for me, it was really valuable to be able to have you on board because before I sent this final proposal, you were able to almost road test it with her. So you were able to sit down and work out you know, the amount we were suggesting for a house, was that affordable? And the pension share we were asking for, was that going to give her enough money to meet her income needs in her retirement? So firstly, the benefit of that was we could tweak our proposal if it hadn't been quite right or enough for her. But secondly, I think for me, one of the most valuable things I found from it was the sense of relief I saw in her when she realised actually she was going to be okay. And to see on a you know yearly basis that she was going to have enough money to take her all the way through her retirement was such a weight off her shoulders and I think it just really helped her through that process and you know I found it valuable she found it valuable and it was just a, such a great service to be able to offer. We find it quite uh, you know a powerful thing to be able to offer clients because like I mentioned before seeing numbers on a piece of paper doesn't really mean much to people mm-hmm. they want to know if it is enough for them so you know with cash flow planning not only can we build in their income expenditure, their assets, any liabilities, but we can kind of show the impact of future scenarios. So 
In this case, it was purchasing a house. Is it affordable? You know, can I afford to spend a bit more? House prices are rising. Can I increase that budget a little bit? Uh, and in this case, you know, we could demonstrate both the house purchase, but then also the income coming from the pension share as well. So, you know, when you look at a pensions report or the amount that you're due as a share, again, it doesn't mean much to a lot of people in terms of what it means to them and how they can draw that pension. So that's the options that we can run through with cash flow. Uh, and in this case, you know, we're using some of the pension to help purchase the property. Uh, and then from the remainder of that, using it to provide an income up until the point at which the state pension came into payment. And then the amount of income needed from the pension was less. And then you can, yeah, like you said, you can model that year on year from now until an assumed sort of mortality age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then you know, building in a few stress testing the scenario as well, you know, with the cost of living increasing, what happens if my expenses got 20%, for example, mm-hmm. will I still have enough money? And you can kind of you know, show the impact of all these things. And I think that's what clients really get concerned. So there's so much uncertainty in a divorce and a separation. And actually what they want to, to know is, what am I going to have month by month to live on? Am I going to be able to meet my needs? You know, you've got all these, you know, offers that are going back and forth between solicitors of, you can have X percentage of my pension and you can have this much capital from the house. But actually, I think Dan, what he helps is to say, look, this is what it looks like day to day. And that's really, really valuable. And another way it uh, is useful as well is if you if we build the cash flow and actually work out that there is still a need, you can then you know, use the sophisticated software to calculate what that lump sum amount would be, and you can take that part uh, take that back and use that in the subsequent negotiations. Absolutely, you, you know it's not just a finger in the air you know estimate. You're actually showing this is how we've calculated what my lump sum need is, so you can use that as part of the subsequent negotiations. And again, that's about bringing Dan in at a much earlier stage. So not just saying, oh, okay, it's concluded and I've got some money I want to invest or I've got a pension that I need to decide where to put. It's actually saying, okay, let's bring Dan on at the point that we're negotiating or thinking about putting forward an offer for settlement because you know we know that putting forward that offer is going to meet that client's needs because Dan has been through the cash flow modeling sort of exercise with them. Yeah, I like to think that it saves kind of time and cost as well. Even though it's an added cost of bringing me in to do the cash flow analysis, if I can demonstrate that one of the initial settlement proposals is you know works for the client, then that negates the need to kind of keep going back and forth and you know, incurring further cost and time in the process. And you can come to a resolution you know, more quickly. Absolutely. And I mean, one of my clients was absolutely delighted because she went through some cash flow modelling with Dan um, and realised she could retire two years earlier than she thought she was going to. So, yeah, uh, win-win. Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was a really nice case, actually, because, again, it was a classic case of the client not really knowing what this new pension credit meant for them. Uh, in this case, uh, they were to receive internal membership within a defined benefit scheme. So this was going to be an immediate, you know, uh, immediate income which would be inflation linked and actually that immediate income met most of their expenditure requirements so what I could demonstrate with the cash flow is that you know not only could she afford to quit her part-time job that she was currently working but then she could go back and, and retrain in a completely different career which uh, you know she wanted to do which is more of a passion project rather than an actual job um, so to be able to give people that reassurance and peace of mind and you know help them make these big changes you know is, is really rewarding. Fantastic. So another area you help us with is when people come out of a divorce and they may have a lump sum of cash. Um, sometimes people haven't been the party who have been resolved, you know, who have run the finance in the family. So suddenly they've got this pot of money and they think, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? And I think that's another 
place for me where you add so much value is to help people know what I can do with this pot of cash to make it work for me. So can you talk us a bit more through that, Dan? When a lump sum settlement is, is received, often the clients don't really know what to do with it. It can be you know, quite a large amount of money, which you know is intended to provide for the rest of their life. So they obviously want to do the right thing with it. So you know, as an independent financial advisor, you know, again, I can look at the whole of market when it comes to looking at solutions. And we do utilize you know, investment managers and outsource the actual investment of the money. Uh, and doing that, because you know, investment management and financial planning is you know, two separate things. We, we don't run portfolios. That's very much a job in itself. So we would look at the whole of market in terms of finding a fund manager who can do the best job for the client. Uh, and what we do is we help them utilize uh, you know, tax wrappers that are available, such as ISAs and pension allowances. So you know, just to give you a quick overview, you can invest you know, 20,000 pounds in an ISA each tax year and up to 40,000 pounds in a pension each year. So potentially you could be putting away 60,000 pounds in a tax advantage wrapper you know, each year. So click quickly that can build up to you know, quite a nice pot. Um, but then it's also about utilizing tax bands as well. So you've got a personal allowance, an amount of interest you can receive, dividends, capital gains tax allowance. So it's again, just making sure that all of these are utilized properly just to minimize the amount of tax that the client pays. We had a case, didn't we, where the party was able to buy a house, but they had a significant amount of cash left over afterwards. And for me being able to kind of pass that on to someone in house, I'd work with the client for maybe 18 months and instead of then them going off and having to find someone new, I was able to say, look, I've got, I've got Dan in-house if you would like to use him. And you were able to help them understand where to put that money to be able to provide them with an income which will last their lifetime. I think that was just for me and the client, they found it just so much easier moving seamlessly from their lawyer into the financial advice and it all just being dealt with in one place. You know, you've got the consistency of service for the client and just the benefit of us being able to communicate you know, internally, which you know, would be difficult uh, to achieve if you're you know, dealing between different companies. But yeah, like you said, for this case, um, yeah, it was a great example of taking a, a large sum of money, uh, helping the client determine you know, what their needs and objectives were over the long term, uh, determining their attitude to risk. You know, we always assess the level of risk that a client is comfortable taking to make sure their monies are invested appropriately. Uh, in this case, uh, yep, we chose an investment portfolio which could provide them with uh, a regular income, which could meet all of their needs. But then again, going back to cash flow, you did uh, an exercise there just to demonstrate actually that they could afford to take more income if they wanted. You know, they didn't have to. The flexibility was there, which gives the extra peace of mind. But again, yeah, it's all about utilizing the, the tax allowances, uh, receiving the income, but also growing the capital to keep pace mm -hmm. with inflation as well. And then also as a financial planner, I provide clients with an ongoing service as well. So you know, we have regular reviews with the client. We look at the cash flow every year just to you know, update with any changes to circumstances uh, and you know, make any strategic changes along the way. And in terms of this, this question will inevitably always come up because people are stretched when they're going through a divorce, but costs and fees and things, um, quite often that's, that'll be a question. So can you talk us through sort of what you do um, in terms of when you, when you meet with a client or you're, you're potentially going to meet with a client? So in terms of costs, I'm always happy to have an initial meeting with the client at no charge. So it's a no obligation initial meeting, really just to have an opportunity to discuss them, their needs, their background and what they're looking to achieve. And then give me an opportunity to you know, discuss the type of work I do and potentially the value I could add. 
if the client wants to proceed from that point, then we can get them to complete you know, some uh, compliance documents you know, with the, the fact find. But then also I can utilize some of the documents that have already been completed, such as the form E, just to save them having to duplicate work. And then what I do is I put together a formal fee agreement, which confirms the exact scope of work I'm proposing uh, and the fixed fee. That fixed fee is calculated using a time cost basis, you know, based on my hourly rate. But the important thing is, is that the client isn't due any fees until they're happy with the work I'm proposing and the, you know, the fee that I'm uh, putting forward for it as well. Perfect. So again, it's that certainty for the client, um, which is really important when they're going through, you know, um, a separation or divorce. So I hope that to everyone who's listening, this has been a really useful way to understand the interplay between divorce and us, our role as solicitors, and also the help that Dan can offer as a financial advisor. And we very much try to work in harmony with one another to make sure that the service we're able to offer our clients is all-encompassing. So we're not only thinking about the here and now, we're thinking about what's going to happen immediately after your divorce, but also what's going to happen in your retirement and taking you all the way through almost that life journey. Thank you.